Cool. Um, I might do the Bible reading. Yes. And then we'll get Brian up. All right. It's from um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21. It's on the screen. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, so guys, obviously um, we're going to have kids uh, head out now as well with Ange and Lynn, I believe. Um, so um, Brian will sort of preface uh, in a second. Um, yeah, there's sort of some themes today in Elijah's uh, testimony that uh, some kids may kind of not want to, or parents might not want to have kids hearing. Um, obviously kids are welcome to stay here, so that's up to parents' discretion. I'll uh, pass it over to Brian in a very sanitary way. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Mary. Maybe uh, Elijah, would you like to come and join me? Friends, let's give him a welcome. Thank you. You take this off now. Yeah. Although I don't know why we're giving you a welcome. You're really very much at home here. <laughs> You're in this uh, centre um, many, many days a week. And I just want to start by saying we are honoured, not just to have you preach today, but to have you uh, ministering in our church. Thank you. I'm honoured to be here. Because uh, you just bring a, a ray of sunshine, you smile, you're welcome to people. I know it's been a big week. Tell us a little bit yeah. about this week. Yeah, so it's been a... I thought I was going to do a, like a public service announcement for the Sports Centre. But um, basically, uh, we've had um, holiday clubs going this week, so... It's been a big one, um, sports holiday clinics, so they went really well for three days. So, yeah. It's fantastic. Um, well, look, we're not going to take up any of your time to share your testimony. Um, you. Elijah's got a, a wonderful testimony. And, um, look, as, as Murray has said, there might be, uh, you know, for mums and dads that have got their kids here, or particularly you that might be at home with even your little ones um, now next door, there might be some... Um, aspects of Elijah's testimony that are a little bit dark in a way. Elijah comes from a different background and he's going to be sharing some of those uh, things uh, very honestly. And I use that word dark in a different con context to the one that the way Elijah was taking that just then. I want to make that very clear. Um, but having said that, Elijah, we want, to, we want to pray for you, okay, as we start today. Let me do that. Thank you. Now, Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you that you are a life-transforming God. You're in the, in the business of taking lives that are broken, mm. lives that are wayward, and turning them around to come home. You are the prodigal father, mm. calling us mm. as prodigal sons and daughters to come back into a relationship with you. And Father, we thank you for that. And now as Elijah just opens up to share uh, his journey through life, so different to, to many of ours. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for who he is. We thank you already for what you've done in his life and what you will continue to do because your word tells us 
that you who have begun a good work in us are going to go on to complete it until Jesus comes again. And so, Father, we ask that you would come. Holy Spirit, come right now and speak to our hearts wherever we are, as Elijah shares with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's beautiful. Adjust this slightly. Hello, everyone. Um, if you haven't already um, heard, my name is Elijah. I'm the sports manager here. Um, and today, of course, I'm going to be sharing uh, my testimony of how I became a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm from South Africa, and um, I have one sister on my mother's side and about 27 siblings on my father's side that I don't know. Um, we actually, it's a funny story, Rachel and I um, got to meet my father on his deathbed. And um, then, of course, a few days later, he passed away. And th on the funeral, we went to the funeral, and they got all the kids, all this gentleman's kids to stand up. Um, and uh, we didn't know it was a tent, a big marquee. And we stood up, and just these strangers standing up, and just 27 strangers had never seen each other before. It was really awkward. But anyway, it's funny. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny now, anyway. Um, so basically, my story is that I grew up in a, in a society in South Africa, and I don't know how much you guys know about South Africa. South Africa is a very racially segregated society. Um, the disparity between the rich and the, and the poor is very, very you know, wide. Uh, beautiful, beautiful country. But it's also very spiritual. I call that because South Africa, most people would consider themselves Christian. People will be slaughtering and drinking goat's blood and then the next day they go to church and they're tithing and, you know, they're talking about what the Lord has done for their lives and everything like that. It's very spiritual, very animism, anim animistic. I don't know if that's the word. Um, but basically there's a spirit that is de de determining every move that you make, basically. If, and so in, in black South Africa, it's a matter of appeasing um, spirit, uh, the ancestors, which are the familiar spirits, which are the gateways between us and God. So we are, we are. It's just a, a, an understanding what we born, what we, what we are taught, um, and how we are cultured. Um, and this is a big stumbling block in Black South Africa, and in, in, in Black and pro probably Black Africa and Africa as a whole. Very, very um, uh, idol worshiping, um, or what you would say, pagan spirits. So that's basically. Before I was even born, this is, this is what my family, this is the practice and the culture that my family was involved in. When my mom, when I was conceived, I was conceived, of course, out of wedlock. My mother was engaged to a gentleman, this guy that I told you about in the beginning. And um, I have a sister who's 10 years older than me. So he, of course, he impregnated my mother with my sister. Uh, well, and, then my, with my, and then my sister was born, and then he left her. And then 10 years later, came back again, apologized, and he impregnated my mother again. And only this time I was conceived. He was, he came from a very prestigious family, my father. Um, and I use that word for lack of a, of a better term. Um, he came from a very prestigious family. Um, everybody, his siblings were doctors and lawyers and accountants. And he wanted to become a pastor because he realized as much do in South Africa that 
the, the seat of authority is the pastors really have a seat of authority in people's, in people's lives and society. You get to be honored. What Jesus spoke about, you know, you Pharisees, you sit in the front because you want to be honored. You don't do what the law says, but you, you tell people to do what you can't do. So basically, that was a big thing. He was actually a bishop. And when he died, he was a bishop of a big church movement. So how my father went about trying to acquire power and wealth was through witchcraft. Uh, because basically, witchcraft is a spirit of control. Um, and when I was conceived, um, the witches that he used to consult used to tell him that the power that he has, he could not, he will never be able to get as long as that baby inside of the womb is alive. So he, on two occasions, he took my mother to, to get an abortion. So I'm, I'm actually a, a failed abortion. Um, so he took her to get a, an abortion twice and it didn't work. She was extremely sick. Um, and the third time my mother, he took her to get an abortion with a, di a, different, a, a different witch doctor. And my mother decided that this time it failed twice. She was extremely sick and she wasn't going to do it because she was sick as unto almost death. So she decided she's not going to go through it, go through with it. And she pretended to take the poison, of course. And um, here I am. I was born. Of course, uh, when he found out that it hadn't worked, um, he left my mother and my sister, who was now 10 years old, because she's 10 years older than me. Um, and... Yeah, he left, he left the family. I grew up, see, this is a story that I know. I, w I didn't witness it, but I experienced it from in my mother's room. But I grew up with mom. My mother had deep, deep sorrow, deep. Um, she loved this man. This man, she gave everything to this man, and he left her twice. Um, and so this is a story that I was accustomed to, you know. Yeah, I'd be playing, and then, oh, you're just like your dad, you know. He did this and did that, and whatever the, whatever the case may be, you know. Sometimes she'd be, please don't be like your father. This is what happened. And so my family told me these stories, my mother and my family, because in South Africa, much like Africa, it's very extended family. You know, we're living in a house with... Aunts, cousins, aunt, grannies, and everything, siblings. Um, and so this is how I grew up. I grew up deeply insecure, deeply longing for a father, um, looking, looking for the father's acceptance everywhere. Um, thankfully, because of my skin, skin tone, I know you think I'm dark, Brian, but <laughs> where, 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 where I'm from, I'm actually quite light. Um, and um, so... <laughs> um, and so... My mother passed my sister and I, who's much lighter than me, she's almost, yeah, um, passed us off as mixed race, what we call in South Africa colored. So that's how I got to speak like I'm speaking. Um, going to, went to white schools because, of course, it was racially segregated in those days. So Africans can't go to white schools. Um, my mother was nothing but a, she was an absolute genius. Um, and so I went through those schools and, of course, Black South Africa was very different to white South Africa. White South Africa was what you'd see like in Australia, you experience where most kids grow up with a father. Now, just because the father's there doesn't mean that he's a present father, but at least the father was there. Um, and so I grew up, it was the weirdest thing, looking around and Father's Day and things and dads come and we just, and just not having a father around. I was lo deeply longing for a father. When I was about eight years old, 
um, a family member who, because my mother was a maid in, in, in houses for the rich. Um, so we'd be, we had nothing, but my mom was a maid for the rich and famous and used to live, you know, live in these houses, servants' quarters with Ferraris and, and Mercedes Benzes and Porsches. And, you know, you think, this is, life is weird. One minute I'm in a Porsche and the next minute I don't have dinner. It's like weird. Um, but so, so basically when I was eight years old, I, um, my cousin, who, whose mom was also a maid um, in the same suburb, um, he, we started hanging out with him. And of course, I, I wanted any form of positive male attention that I could get. He was about eight years older than me, and he was awesome. He loved basketball. He was cool. He was handsome. I was like, wow, I, I want to be like this guy, you know? And, um, and then, of course, not, not of course, but I st he started sexually abusing me uh, because my mom used to leave me with him. So, like, she used to, they used to go night school. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what night school is, basically teaching um, servants English so they can be, ab be able to communicate with the, the masters better. Um, and so then I used to get sexually abused. This went on for about four years of my life. Um, on those four years, I was extremely, extremely confused because my sisters are absolutely gorgeous ladies. Okay, I've got two, well, one sister, one cousin. And I always used to wonder, what, why is this guy coming to me and not going to my sisters, you know? Um, and I, what, I was already insecure because of a lack of a father, trying to search for a father or some sort of attachment in any positive role model I could get, male role model I could get, find. Um, but then this one abused me. Um, and it got to a point where I actually started there was no resistance anymore because I realized that I got lost in it. I decided this was my portion, right? Um, and what that did actually, it opened the floodgates to what I, th looking back now, became addiction. And it was a sexual addiction. Over the course of my life, started dabbling in uh, what, pornography, which of course it wasn't very prevalent back in the 90s or the 80s. Um, but, and then in high school, I, I started becoming sexually active and then longing, and I, I was longing for something. I was longing for something that I thought that my father, I, I, needed, I needed attachment. I needed attachment. I needed to be affirmed for, for who I was um, and not the circumstances that I lived under. Um, and... It wasn't enough. I, I had girlfriends, and um, the the act was great. And then straight after the act, I was like, "Oh, this is not it. I need to. Maybe it'll be better next time." And my friends be like, "No, next time it'll be better. Get a, a prettier girl." So you, it, but the situation was just the same. Um, going going out of that, I I really I got lost in it. It wasn't. It wasn't. I started going deeper into a sexual addiction, which at that point probably wasn't an addiction. It was just a, a habit that I, I couldn't really kick and I didn't realize, because in South Africa, a man is a man by the how many women he's able to bed. You know, that's my father, had 27 kids, and he was, long, he was looking for something. The, our, our former president had about six wives. It's a country that still recognizes polygam polygamous marriages. 
Um, and so then, therefore, the rights of women is, are really undermined. And the sanctity of marriage as well is just a laughing stock. Um, yeah, I go in deeper into sexual addiction, uh, sexual habits, and then having a sexual encounters with um, just girlfriends or one night stands wasn't enough. I needed to get prostitutes um, and just absolute strangers. I was taking drugs. I was taking cannabis, um, and my friends and I, we, I, I tried. I didn't know how to get help. I, honestly, I didn't know how to get help. We sp speak to guys about this stuff, and guy, we'd say, oh, come on. There's not such a thing as sexual addiction. <laughs> come on, man. It's, we're men. We're wired for this stuff. Um, but I was long, deep, deep down inside, I was, I was, I was really desperate. I, no one knew in my family that I'd been abused. Just to go off on a different tangent, I, I had to, last night I called my sister for the first time because it's just me and my sister now. My mom has passed away. And I actually told her what happened. And that was, I was, I was freaking out. This is nothing, standing in front of you guys. I was freaking out, telling my sister exactly what happened about 30 years ago. Um, but back to the story. Prostitution. I went, went into that and it just, it wasn't, nothing was working anymore. I just couldn't, I couldn't. I was going, a, I could not go a day without having some form of sexual encounter. I couldn't go a day. I thought I was going to go nuts. And I, the perversion and the and this, the darkness of it is that I start in South Africa is the highest rate of HIV in the world. Durban is the highest rate in South Africa in HIV in the world. So that makes Durban the highest rate of HIV in the world, the city with the highest HIV rates. And just I was just going onto the streets and finding the sickest girl I could find to sleep with her because I needed to exert my power and my force over this person and I honestly didn't care about my life. I honestly didn't care. I didn't know how to continue my life. I didn't really want to end my life but I saw no value in the life that I had. At this point, my sister was a doctor. Our life was extremely different. My sister was one of those people where from the beginning, because of course we wouldn't have been able to afford school, from grade one, she was given a scholarship to go to, to private schools, white, um, white private schools because of the sport and just her excellence in academia. And all throughout university, the government paid because she's just that type of smart mind. Um, and when she became a doctor, then my habits got a license, got a, a black card, a black American Express card that I could do whatever I want and it was okay. I had the financial license to go to and do whatever I wanted. And this was my life. This was my life until 2020, the year 2010, when I, uh, a friend of mine who, whose brother, who I, was, I was best friends with his brother, and this friend of mine um, used to sit and watch us. We'd be at parties and with girls and alcohol and drugs and all sorts of things, and this guy would sit there with his Bible, and he just like and his he was doing mechanics, and he just sit there and talk to us, and the guys thought this guy was an absolute idiot, like you're reading a Bible about white Jesus when you could be experiencing in all of this, 
And we thought this guy was an absolute idiot. Um, I hope idiot's not a bad word. Um, but yeah, he, we thought this guy was just silly. Um, and I hadn't seen this guy in seven years. He calls me up. I'm in uni doing a law degree, a degree that I absolutely hated. I wanted to do sport. But yeah, my mom wanted a doctor and a lawyer. So um, absolutely hated law. And this guy calls me. And he says, hey, man, where are you? I'm like, who is this? He's like, my name is Sandile. His name is Sandile. Um, and he says, I haven't seen you. I'm like, man, how did you get my number? And he says, yeah, I tracked it down. Listen, I'm in the neighborhood, and I know that you, you're on uni in Peter Marisburger City. Um, would you be able to come through and just chat for a few minutes? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I see this guy, and he looks at me again. And he used to look at me with his eyes, man, like with no judgment, and he's just looking at me with his eyes. It's like, one day you'll get it. This is when in the, in the depths of the depravity. And he looks at me with the same eyes. And he says, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm driving a Range Rover. <laughs> I'm driving a Range Rover. I can do whatever I want. I'm, I've got designer clothes. My family is made. I, don't, I, I, I have no needs. And he's like, no, man, seriously, are you okay? I'm like, stop asking me. I'm okay. He said, listen, there's, there's something that, that I get together that I have every Tuesday um, with some people. I really would like it if you came. And I was like, sure. Uh, I knew it was a biblical get-together. My family was not into Christianity, although we worshipped God. Um, and I went there because I was desperate, and I didn't know that I was desperate. I get to this house, and that's when I met my beautiful wife. Because I get to this house, right, and... I walk in, and I'd, I'd gone to home sales and all my life. I was going to, you know, youth explosions and things like that, and Anglican church and Alpha and all those things. I, I knew it all, Numa. Um, anyway, um, and I get into this house, and it's different. Like, there's white girls and black guys, and they're sitting together, and no one has been coerced, coerced to sit with them, right? And I get in here, and I'm like... This is weird. This is weird. And they're worshiping and they're singing. I'm like, this is a cult. This is a cult. They're going to make us drink the Kool-Aid soon. And then we're all going to end our lives. This is how I go out. Um, and I stayed because I was fascinated by this life. I was fascinated by what I saw. And then I went again and again and again. But finally, this one moment came when they, they put in a sermon by a, a pastor from Singapore, and he preached upon something called the prodigal son. Of course, you all know, but I didn't know. I was like the prodigal son. And he spoke about a story about two sons uh, and a father. And he talked about a God, a father, who the son had completely wasted his life on just lascivious living, um, living with pigs, dirty. And this father kept looking out for the son. And when the son decided to come back, not because he missed the father, but because he was really, he wanted, he wanted bread. And the father ran to him and gave him a cloak and a ring and a robe. Oh man, I'd been dying for a father to give me something. I'd been dying to, for a father to give me something all my life. And it, uh, it crushed me. Because in South Africa, that's not, an, that's, not, that's not a prevailing attitude of what a father is. And I just wept and wept. I went home and I told my mom, 
I'm not going to partake in this in, in, in ancestral sacrifices anymore because we used to sacrifice the ancestors where the where the gall on our necks and where and their skin on our arms, like I'm wearing this bracelet, as a protection from 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 dark spirits and things like that, and to get blessings. Um, and I told her I'm not going to partake in this. My mom said to me, "If you are now, because she had noticed that Rachel was picking me up. Rachel was a friend at that point, sneaky missionary. Anyway, um, and um, and she said you better not be becoming a Christian." And I said, no way, never. These, I'm just, I'm just, these guys are just an experiment. I just want to see what happens, how far this goes. Um, and I said to her, I can't do this anymore. And Jesus, I didn't even realize what atonement was. I didn't know. But I said to her, Jesus was the sacrifice. And there are no other sacrifices needed. And she said to me, if if this is the life, this is the course that you're trying to head your life in, you will be dead by the end of the day, because you know that no one leaves our religion or our practices um, and live. And she said, furthermore, you are no longer if you if you choose Jesus over this family, then you're no longer my son. You can't live here anymore, because whatever's coming for you, I can't allow it to hurt every, anybody else in this family because of the decision that you've made. Extreme fear. I was like, I was shaking. I was just shaking. I was so scared. I was so scared. And then suddenly, <laughs> no, not suddenly, but there's a voice. There's a, like, I started burning inside of my stomach, like the pit of my stomach, like the pit of my stomach, just this burn. It was like, almost like, it was hard. And, and then, this voice said, nothing will happen. In the deep depths of my stomach said, nothing will happen. And I, I said, okay, mom, I'll leave. And I took a bag of chips out of the cupboard, like a priorities, right? And I left the home. And that is, that is how I, I became a follower of Jesus. Now, of course, because of time, there were things... There was pushback in the kingdom of when the, there's there's a battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness runs away from the light, but there's pushback, and there were there was extreme pushback um, that same night when things came into the to the house, doors opened, doors closed, and I was living in extreme fear in this house that I was living because my mom had told me that I was going to be dead by the end of the day, extreme pushback, and. I, and God did a miracle for me. I, I slept with all the lights on every day for three days, all the lights on. There had to be no shadow in the house. This voice that told me that nothing would happen to me came again and said, why do you sleep with all the lights on? And I said, because I'll die. And he said, tonight I'll show you. And I, again, I slept with all the lights on and the Bible under my pillow. I wake up in the morning and someone has switched all the lights off in the house. And I was the only person living in this house and I was still alive. And that voice came again. It's like a genie. He said, I told you. You never slept with the lights on ever in ever again. And that's and that's my born again testimony. And that's the story of who Jesus is to me. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
now, because of time, Brian, um, I'd love to wrap up. Dan, can you come up? Um, because Revelations 19.10 says that the spirit of prophecy bears the testimony of Jesus. And perhaps in this room, there may not be many people who experience what I experienced, but maybe someone can resonate in some way or another with the story of the battle with addiction. Um, but also the, the story of prodigals. Some, many of you here are, are parents um, and you may be experiencing prodigals where you are the father or the mother and your children have left and you want, you're looking out like that father for the child, the children to come back. And this is my story. And my father, he ran to me and he embraced me and kissed me. But I also want to pray for that as, uh, and minister into that, that this, the prodigals would come back home. The prodigals would come back home. 